Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Monday, June 12th. The issue of data transparency has emerged as one of the major points of contention in the Writers Guild strike against the studios. We've talked about it before on the show. In the streaming era, Netflix and the others don't share very much information with creators about who is watching their films and shows. Netflix is probably the most sophisticated data collection company in the history of entertainment. They know exactly how many of their 230 million users start a show, finish a show, stop watching after a particularly violent scene, which stars lead to longer engagement, whether it's The Rock or Ana de Armas, Craig's favorite. They have their own consumption metrics and sophisticated algorithms that promote certain content to certain members based on the data Netflix learns about those viewers. Almost all of it is kept secret, except for those top 10 lists, which Netflix shows on the user interface and publishes once a week. They offer a snapshot of what Netflix says its viewers are watching most, territory by territory, but it's incomplete, which gives Netflix and the others a big advantage with negotiating with their talent. I compare it to a poker game where the streamers know what cards their talent has, but the talent is playing blind. Last week, Bella Bajaria, the chief content officer at Netflix, did a keynote at the UCLA Entertainment Symposium, and she briefly discussed the transparency issue in a conversation with Ken Ziffrin, the entertainment lawyer. I was there, and it struck me that instead of admitting Netflix is a black box and defending the business practice, Bella wanted credit, actually, for those top 10 lists. We actually do share things, she noted. I think the key part is we're ahead of it. To me, that's not the key part. The key part is how inadequate those top 10 lists are to getting a full picture of who is actually watching what, and more importantly, how the talent that contributed to those shows should be valued in the streaming world. So today, Lucas Shaw is here, and we're going to discuss data transparency, those Netflix top 10 lists, whether they're manipulated, all the services that purport to do streaming ratings in the absence of credible data, and whether we will ever see how many people are actually watching these shows on streaming. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. Welcome back, Lucas. I cannot wait for our knock-em-out, drag-em-out argument today. It's going to be great. Despite your allergies, we press on. So let's talk about the top 10 lists on Netflix, because I love them. I'm sure you love them. It's fun to turn on Netflix and see what people in this country and around the world are watching. Usually it's embarrassing. There's some, you know, it's like a mix. The movies are a mix of some studio comedy from the early 2010s and some completely trashy made-for-Netflix movie that is like a knockoff of a better movie that came out in theaters in 2010. 
And then there are the originals that do resonate, like the one, the Netflix movies that they spend money on. And I always never have I ever new season. Loving it. (laughs) Great. I always look at these top 10 lists with a grain of salt, knowing that Netflix can manipulate the numbers. It's only coming from them. It's not audited by an outside company or data provided by an outside company that is given access to the Netflix books. And Netflix has a lot of different incentives when putting together these top 10 charts, namely the talent they work with and getting Ryan Murphy that number one spot that he desperately covets. And I just, I don't give these charts a lot of credence. You disagree. Well, I agree. I think that they are useful and that they, like many of the data points we get right now, sort of inform what is popular, right? In the absence of uniform ratings across the world, or at least across the U.S., which we used to have, or at least we thought we had with Nielsen, which had its own problems. We've got pieces. We've got Nielsen, which is U.S. only and doesn't measure mobile viewing and like has some good things, but also doesn't and is can be skewed. We've got the Netflix top 10. We've got the third-party measurement firms like Parrot and Antenna and Samba that measure different things. And I feel like it's our job to tie them all together And you can use that to come up with a complete picture. The thing that I don't get and where I I do disagree with you is I don't think that I think Netflix has some ability to manipulate the ratings, but I don't think they're nearly as manipulated as you think or they're it's as different as what has happened in television for a very long time. All right, we'll get to that. But I just want to generally speaking about these ratings, you're saying that all these different services, they put out their numbers and it's our job to mix them up in a blender and to tell people what is successful and not successful. Well, okay, for example, Nielsen puts out its top 10 ratings every week. They're like a month to a month and a half behind actual viewership. What is useful is it does give you a snapshot of what is popular and what people are watching. You see a new series that's number one in the Nielsen rankings, odds are that a lot of people are watching it. You see a show that's a rerun like Coco Melon or NCIS or whatever it is. Coco Melon, always Coco Melon. Never leaves the top 10 and you realize, oh yeah, that's pretty popular. There are ways that it can be skewed, right? So Netflix has an advantage in the Nielsen ratings because it's measuring based on total hours watched. And if you have a new show and you drop it all at once, people are going to spend more time watching it than a show that only releases one episode. But that should be counteracted by the fact that a really popular show will just stay in the top 10, right? Like a show like The Boys or The Mandalorian mostly just stays in the top 10. It's a sign it's popular. A show on Disney Plus that shows up in the top 10 for like a week or two, probably not as popular. And then something like Citadel on Amazon, where they spent hundreds of millions of dollars and it doesn't make the top 10, everybody laughs and points, and then they have to claim that it was huge in India. Right. And you can tell that Netflix is still way more popular than everything else, just because it has most of the top 10 every single week. Well, it also has 230 million subscribers worldwide. It has, what, 100 in the US? I mean, there's a big advantage on Netflix. But I want to get to this responsibility that I think Netflix has to release more data. Because Bella Bajaria was up on stage this past week, and she wanted credit. She wanted everyone to say Netflix is doing more than some of these other services in releasing data because they have the top 10 lists. And I heard that and I said, you know what? Like, that's not really an excuse. That is that is the illusion 
of transparency. It is not actual transparency. The talent that works with Netflix does not get a full picture of the consumption of their shows like they would have in the linear environment from Nielsen. They get whatever Netflix decides to show them. And these top 10 lists have become sort of a fig leaf. It's like, well, see, your your show was in the top 10, but there's all these other factors that we consider on whether we're deciding to renew it or not. You know, we look at completion rate. We look at engagement. We look at cost uh, against the, you know, the the uh, audience and whether it's growing or not. All these things that Netflix keeps secret to themselves. So the talent doesn't really have access to this and doesn't have full set of knowledge when going into a negotiation. And this is not new. And Netflix does give more than some of these other services give, and they do it publicly. So I'm not saying they do nothing. But for Bella to be up there wanting credit for transparency seems a bit disingenuous to me. I mean, no no streaming service deserves any praise for their level of transparency. And, and Netflix did, in a lot of ways, establish the habit of not disclosing. And Netflix started to disclose in part because of the demand, but in part because they realized that they were so much bigger than everyone else that it would start to make them look good. And so, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think they deserve credit. I do appreciate that they give us way more information than any of their peers. And they have most of these other companies issue sort of meaningless press releases about some title being their most, the most watched music documentary on the 4th of July uh, right, that they've ever right. released. And it's like that's biggest totally... half hour in the history of Amazon Studios. It's like, wait, okay, let's go through your half hours. And they do do it by country, which is also super useful. So there's more data from them than anyone else. But to your point, yeah, you, we don't know how many people are watching the, the 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 vast majority of their titles, and they don't tell talent, you know, w- what the other metrics are. They don't let them in on things. Uh, some of the what you mentioned around completion rate or or adjusted view share AVS or all these other data points that they have internally that matter. I thought that when Netflix launched the advertising tier, as all of these services have now done or said they're going to, that we would get more data because when you're selling advertising, you have to provide the ad buyers with at least something, right? And yet we don't get anything more now that Netflix has ads. Why is that? And how long is that tenable for Netflix? Well, Hulu's had ads forever and we don't get anything more from them. Yeah. Why is that? None of these networks ever had to disclose this stuff, right? They just chose to. Well, the advertising community demanded it in linear. And Nielsen stepped in as an independent third party a long, long time ago, said, we will be the arbiter of this. Everyone buys in. But they didn't have to disclose those publicly as they, these networks by choice shared the Nielsen data every morning, right? They didn't have to do that. They just did. Either they thought it would be good to brag or they figured it would get out anyways. You know, we're going to get to a point, I guess, where we have some more data on viewership and that the advertisers are getting it. And, and, and maybe at that point, they'll choose to. But for most of these streaming services, the advertising tier, or at least I should say for the biggest streaming services, the advertising tier is going to remain a minority of viewership for a long time. It wasn't just a choice. I mean, same with box office. These theaters had this information and the studios could have chosen not to participate in media reporting of box office, but they chose to do so in part because it made them look good and also because they knew they were not in control of this data. And the same with linear TV, because Nielsen was its own thing and was 
capturing this data on its own via its people meters and such, they knew that it was out there. And I think the difference now is that the high level data is all internal and they've recognized and they somehow got the talent community to buy into this at the very beginning that we'll just pay you and you don't have to care about who's watching your show. And that is just the fundamental error in the talent community to go along with that 10, 15 years ago. They should have put up a fight and they didn't. And now here we are where one of the main issues that the Writers Guild is striking about and that the directors are so upset that their deal did not cover is transparency. They want to know who's watching this stuff and the business interests are not going to provide it to them. So they feel like their guild has to step in and do it for them. Yeah, but you have to remember that if you were a writer or a producer or someone who worked in TV 10, 15 years ago when Netflix was getting started, that being freed from the pressures of daily ratings was actually nice, right? Like these were people who'd be used to getting the demos every morning from the network and sweating whether that meant their show was going to live or die. And there was something very freeing about not having to do that. They just didn't anticipate what would happen. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, let's get to this issue of how real these top 10s are, because I have thoughts on this. I believe that the top 10 is easily manipulatable, and the way to do it is via algorithm. If Ryan Murphy's got a new show, you just put it in front of everyone. Make sure it's the number one thing everyone sees on their homepage, and you're going to almost guarantee that show is going to be in the top 10. And I just think it further devalues those numbers when people look at them to not take into consideration the fact that Netflix controls it all and they can essentially make something number one. Okay, so I have a, I have a couple of reasons why I think you're full of shit here, but I'll start by okay. saying, please, please, is, what, is, is Netflix trying to boost certain shows? Absolutely. And is the magical algorithm at least partially BS? Also true, because they can definitely choose what they want to put in front of people. Do you think that TV networks have traditionally favored certain shows in promotion? Sure, of course. But that's promotion. That's showing ads. That's not... It, it, this would be like if NBC could put an ad across all of television and you could click on it and start watching immediately. It's very different from a 30-second spot running during football. It's not because when NBC had hit shows in the 90s, okay, they have Seinfeld, they have Friends, two of the biggest shows on TV. What you put behind Seinfeld or behind Friends is basically the same thing that we're talking about here. Every week, you are trying to launch this other huge show behind your biggest show. You could launch it behind Seinfeld or you could launch it behind like 30 Rock from the Sun, which is considerably less popular, or you could launch third, it behind third, 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 third Rock, rock from the Sun. Sorry, I Although I would definitely watch 30 Rock from the would. Sun. Uh, or you could launch it behind Wings, which is a show that I'd never heard of, but I was trying to look up the NBC oh, schedule from the Oh, how dare 90s. you? Wings? Uh, Are you kidding me? Thomas Hayden Church? 
Networks choose what to debut after the Super Bowl. They choose what to promote during the NBA Finals. They do have a similar ability to hit people. You know, when HBO puts something behind Game of Thrones, that automatically delivers a lot more viewership. Now, I, I grant it. It's I get that with Netflix, it makes it much easier. You can watch it right away. But it's, yeah. for my money, really not that different. It is different because it is on a huge scale. The friction between seeing the tile and clicking is virtually non-existent versus a ad you see on television that requires you to think about it and affirmatively choose to watch something at a later time. The lead-in thing I, makes sense, but the lead-in can only go so far. First of all, you as a viewer is aware that your show is ending and something else is starting. You may or may not want to sample that, but it's at least a little bit of a choice that you make rather than seeing something and be like, okay, that's the first thing that pops up, whatever. And secondly, there are very famous promotion schemes that these companies have. I'll use the NBC Universal Symphony, which is when something that Comcast, which owns NBC Universal, decides is a big deal, like a Fast and Furious movie, it will get the symphony treatment, meaning all of the arms of NBC Universal and Comcast start promoting it via the Today Show, The Voice, The Parks, the cable system. That is the most effective form of promotion that Comcast can offer something. But they can only do it a certain amount of times a year with certain properties. The difference with Netflix is that they can do it every single day. They can make a symphony effort with one click of a button. And on a Friday, it can be the Ryan Murphy show. On Saturday, it can be Red Notice that goes to all 230 million people on their homepages worldwide, regardless of whether they've ever watched a movie in English before. Partially, yeah. But I, again, I don't see as dramatic a difference between Ryan Murphy on Friday and whatever on Saturday and the fact that these networks have ample advertising time Friday, Saturday, et cetera, to promote their stuff. The other thing is, just because a show gets a little boost at the beginning from that promotion does not mean that it stays popular. To our point, our conversation earlier about Nielsen and what stays and what doesn't, sure, you can like promote the crap out of Red Notice, that movie when it came out, or especially with TV shows, sure, you can promote Ryan Murphy's Dahmer series, and maybe that helps it get that initial boost, but it's not going to sustain it unless people like it and keep watching it. I mean, it's the same with all this promotional stuff. Marketing only gets you so far. You can market it to a big opening, but if people don't like it, it won't stay. So that's why being a number one for a week eh, doesn't really mean that much. But if it hits number one for two, three, four weeks, if it stays in the top 10 for a couple of months, you know you have a hit. The rest of it, like Ryan Murphy tweeting, okay, it hit number one, and then it falls off right away. People can see through that, and it won't actually help him that much in booking his next show. And... That's why when you see something number one on the top 10, it's not necessarily determinative of the ultimate success of the product. Do you have a, a favorite example of a show that where you think people were able to talk about how, how successful it was, but it really wasn't a success? Well, the Ryan Murphy stuff, the initial, the pre-Dahmer stuff. I mean, he was tweeting up a storm about how Hollywood... I, I'm forgetting what that first Ryan Murphy show out of the I know what you're was. talking about, yeah. I think was... it was just called Hollywood. No, there was a show called Hollywood, but there was another one that he had that was also a turd, and it, it was he did the prom the, movie. The Politician? The Politician, yes. And that was one where it was like, number one on Netflix. And he tweeted about it. And there was a press release and everything. And then it just like 
dropped off. And then I believe they did a season two of that. And then it just kind of went away. Well, the end of last year really rescued his uh, his performance at Netflix. And I don't mean to pick on him. You know, that's the other problem with the top 10 system is that it's only the top 10. I mean, there are thousands of shows that come and go on Netflix and they do fine, probably. But if they don't resonate enough to get into that top 10, we know nothing about them. And the creators know nothing about them. And the creators' representatives know nothing about them. And it becomes this like, oh, well, I guess my show, my movie's on Netflix. Uh, is anyone watching it? I have no idea. How many times a week do uh, does an agent, manager, or lawyer complain to you about this? A lot. But they're not wrong. There's a reason why they complain. And for a decade, they were okay with it because the volume was so high at all of these companies and there were bidding wars and they would get paid on the back end. Sorry, they would get paid overall deals to make up for the lack of back end. And they were just like, yeah, whatever, client, suck it up. You're getting paid. Doesn't matter who's watching your show. You don't have to worry about it. And now I feel like that has turned partially because the guild, the writer's guild has woken up to this and said, you know, what, we should probably be paid for our success. The director's guild too. The directors are disappointed that this deal that's now before them to vote on doesn't have any kind of success metric in it. And that's one of the big things they gave up. And the writers, we'll see if they hold fast on this, but the studios and the streamers are going to put up a fight and don't want to release this information for a reason. If I had to predict, I would say that that is a point on which the writers will also concede. I would probably predict that as well, but they're not saying that right now. You know, maybe two, three months from now when Netflix is like, yeah, whatever, come back to us when you're willing to drop that. We are perfectly happy with our content offering without the Writers Guild. So we'll see how long that argument lasts. I would love if we could get full data on uh, on certain subjects. Like, I would love to be able to rank all the Netflix stand-up specials and see who does the best and who does the worst and, and how few people watch some of these things. It's funny. They have a formula on stand-up specials. I was uh, chatting with an agent about this where they literally will look at the trajectory of viewership on a stand-up special and then determine how to pay somebody for the next one. Like they, it's down to a algorithmic formula on the stand-up specials. The days of like Amy Schumer and Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock just getting like the $20 million check to be like, okay, go ahead, do it. You have to actually perform. That's why the, the John Mulaney making the top 10 was pretty significant because it shows that like he actually, at least in that first week, was delivering. All right. So, so overall, do you think that we are going to get anywhere on this or is this just people like you and me throwing up their hands, stomping their feet, and we're going to be complaining about this in 10, 15 years? Or do you think the trajectory here is headed toward more transparency and that as these services evolve and the talent gets more sophisticated and the guilds press on these issues, that we will see greater transparency beyond these marginal top 10 lists? The trend has been towards more and more transparency, but I don't think we're ever going to get the full transparency that, that we all would like. Is it possible that one streaming service finally opens up the vault and lets everyone see what's going on in the inside and that creates a trend amongst the rest? Competitive advantage. If you are Apple TV, they could choose to let people behind the curtain and that could actually make a significant difference in the industry. 
I just don't think it's enough of a motivation for for th- that's not why people are going to work someplace. No. Well, first of all, Apple would be the last company to do that. But we'll, <laughs> we'll stick with them as we'll stick with them as an example just for the hell of it. Sure, Hulu or whatever. Yes. Yeah, let, let's do Hulu because they're cheaper. So Hulu Hulu offers you full transparency, but offers you 70% as much money as Netflix or Apple. What is the person going to take? They're going to take Netflix or Apple. Yeah, unless you want to make a point. You know, you're Chuck Lorre, you're Dick Wolf, and you've got more money than you know what to do with, and you want to make a point. Although those guys love money. I don't know. Chris, Cristiano Ronaldo has more money than he knows what to do with, and he did not blink at all about go to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I, I, get, I get your or, point. But couldn't, couldn't Hulu just be the only service that offers somebody like a show like that's you're assuming that somebody can get an offer from every single company like what if hulu is the only company that offers somebody a show and they happen to also offer data transparency well but then that's not incentivizing them to do that that you only the market is only pushed with competition yeah i'm just saying that it could catch on and if a show does well they could talk about it true but all talent gains come from bidding wars that's how this industry works you have a hot piece of material and everyone wants it. And what are you willing to do for it? And all things equal, or if the money is almost the same, there are advantages that certain platforms have over other advantages. You want the biggest worldwide audience? You go to Netflix. You want to be treated like a king? You go to Apple. You want to you know, have access to the Disney machine? You go to Hulu. There's different things. You want to be put up next to Bupkiss and other shows that nobody watches? You go to Peacock. There's a hierarchy and the hierarchy moves and data transparency can be one of those things that moves the market. Man, you're still not playing nice with Peacock. Peacock should do that. Honestly, Peacock should say we are a fully transparent company. You can come here, bring your show, and we will tell you exactly how it's doing. We will pay you accordingly. And we are going to be that place. I think they would get more shows. Well, we'll put you in charge. (laughs) All right, that's it for this. Our frustrations continue. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks, Matt. All right, we're back with the call sheet. Craig, my favorite subject, the Golden Globe Awards and the saga of the Golden Globes. Are you following this? Yeah, it's every under 30 person's favorite subject as well. We love the Golden Globes. (laughs) Award shows in general, just young people can't get enough of them. All right, so the Golden Globes, if you haven't been following, has been mired in this diversity scandal for the past two years. It was reported that they didn't have any black members and that their diversity numbers were not great. And it basically caused the entire entertainment industry to boycott them. And they resolved that a little bit. The Globes went on this past year. It was on NBC. Also, Jay Penske co-owns the Globes and he owns all the trade magazines in Hollywood. But they basically lost their long-term television deal. And when you are an award show, that is the lifeblood. The Golden Globes are this weird entity where they're produced by this company, Dick Clark Productions, and they're voted on by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And the HFPA was a nonprofit that did a bunch of charitable work and had this asset that threw off tens of millions of dollars in profit every year from their award show and their deal with NBC. That is ending, and now the owner of Dick Clark Production, this company, Eldridge, which is a billionaire, Todd Bowley, who owns the Chelsea Football Club. He's an investor in the Dodgers. Full disclosure, he was the owner of The Hollywood Reporter when I worked there. But Todd Bowley owns Dick Clark Productions and has now bought, essentially, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. (laughs) He is taking them from a 
charitable organization into a for-profit company and translating it into a Golden Globes foundation that will now have the proceeds from the Golden Globes. And he's doing this in order to essentially bring some professionalism and accountability to the Golden Globes. So there's a deal to be had here for the Globes, but it'll be nowhere near the $60 million a year that NBC was paying pre-scandal. Does this any of this make sense to you? Yeah. So now these people are employees that he can eventually fire. Yes, basically. He's going to pay him 75 grand a year. There's like 100 and something members of the HFPA now. It used to be under 100, but they added a bunch more diverse members in order to fend off this scandal that they were under. The publicists were boycotting. The talent didn't want to attend. Tom Cruise sent back his Golden Globes. So did Scarlett Johansson. Tom Cruise, defender of diversity in the world, sent back his Golden Globes. And now... The big goal is for the Golden Globes to find a television partner. And my prediction today is that this move is going to get the Globes back on television. They will find some partner to show the show this year. And when you say television, do you mean like a broadcast network or do you mean streaming or anywhere? Anywhere. I mean, Netflix was close to a deal last year to take over the Golden Globes and Ultimately, Netflix decided to go with the SAG Awards, which will start airing on Netflix this next year. And that sort of left the Globes high and dry. NBC had a long-term deal to air the Globes, but during the scandal, they used that to get out of that deal, which was very lucrative for the Globes and not that good for NBC, given the trajectory of ratings on broadcast networks right now. They got out of that deal. They did a one-year deal to put the Globes on NBC this past year. The show did okay. It was down significantly from the heyday, but up from some of these other shows that aired during the pandemic. And it showed there is a demand for the Globes, that people do like seeing them. But now, with this situation kind of cleaned up a little bit, Todd Bowley is betting that he can find someone to take on the Golden Globes. And I think he will, whether it will be going back to NBC or whether it will air on another streamer like Amazon or Hulu or one of these other ones. The Globes need to be on television or streaming in order to be relevant. And I think Foley will be able to get at least a short-term deal, even though he wants a long-term deal. And it needs to stay spicy. That's what needs to, the Golden Globes needs to have that wow factor to it. Otherwise, nobody's going to watch Yeah, I mean, go back and look at some of those Ricky Gervais monologues. They are insane that he said this stuff live on television. Yeah, I'll never forget him saying, if ISIS had a streaming service, you'd call your agent. Exactly. And and Tim Cook was sitting right there in the audience (laughs) when he insulted him with the sweatshop line. It was amazing. Uh, Yeah, those days might be over, but the Globes can come back, I think. And I think they will be on TV or streaming in January. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck and our editor, Jesse Lopez. We will see you later this week. 